Good morning. Thank you, worship band, for leading us well. You can always tell it comes from your heart. Uh, how's everybody doing? Good. Good. Uh, I, I know there's not really an appropriate way. With that. I don't know why I always that question. Because I don't think that it's, I'm, I want to know how you're doing. It's not the best time to be like, well, do you got a second? <laughs> I'm still waiting for like the, how are you doing? Not great, but here. Uh, but I, I always, I mean, you just start the way you start. So, hey, we have some work to do. Um, and I've been saying that for a while. And I know um, you're like, Tim, this is like the third Sunday in a row that uh, you've said you're going to go a little long and people, we need to dive into our, our Bible. Um, but that, that's some of the, the stride you, you take and you, 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 you double down on when you say, I'm going, to, I'm going to walk through the book of Hebrews. So we're in our, I think, our 17th week. In our study of Hebrews, um, we're doing a, 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 a first letter, first word of Hebrews to the last word of Hebrews kind of study. We're going to walk through, we're going to try to dive in as best we can to every application that the writer of Hebrews wanted um, us to have. Uh, it's the inherent word of God. Uh, we, we here uh, at Trinity Church believe that everything in this book, everything in this Bible is applicable. It's true. It's breathed out of God. So we're going to do the best we can. But today we're also going to try to take down... All of Hebrews 7, which is 28 verses, which is a personal best for us. It's a PR, and I'm excited about it. Um, but what it's going to take is me to focus, me not to rant, me not to go on rabbit trails, um, because of, of the importance I want us to be able to just walk through it. I want us to kind of kind of see what, what the Spirit's going to do in this room. I want the Spirit to come. I want the Spirit to move. Um, last week, uh, we, we really hit into the anchor of Christ. Are you anchored in Christ? We talked about the importance of... Of, of being anchored in, in our salvation, anchored in the truth of Christ, because if you're not anchored, you're going to drift. And we talked about you can be in the right position right now. You can be exactly where God wants you to be right now. Every, every lockstep of a part of you can be moving forward in the will of God. But if you're not anchored in Christ, it's a momentary victory because you will be hit by the storm. The anchor of Christ does not say the storm's not coming. He says, I'm not going to let the storm destroy you. And there's a huge difference. Because a lot of times we think as long as we are where we momentarily need to be, maybe the storm won't get us. And that's not what the Word of God teaches us. The Word of God teaches us that we have a Savior that will be with us during the storm. He may calm the storm. He may command the storm to stop. He has that power. But He may just walk alongside you as the storm hits and says, You have to be anchored in me and I will never let you drift. I will never let you go. And I will not let the storm destroy you. But the storm's going to come. And it's important for you to be anchored in that. The writer of Hebrews is going to pivot in chapter 7 what we're about to go through and talk about why it's important to draw near to God? Why, why the importance of the order of Melchizedek, which is a really big word, but you know he's important because I can say it and you can say it and you've heard it before. And it's really complicated. There's a lot of vowels and consonants together that normally shouldn't be there. But we can say it because it's important to understand the order of Melchizedek because what he's laying before us today is he's saying there's a better way because we have a better covenant. There's a better way because we have a high priest that will rule forever in the holies of holy. There's a better way because Christ has gone before us in the uttermost. He has, he has died for our sins eternally. And there's nothing that can forsake that if we draw near to Christ. Because God doesn't want academic knowledge of Mosaic law. He wants a relationship with his people. And he proved that by sending his only son. And me going on these rants is exactly what we don't have time for. But I can't stop because, man, I love Hebrews. All right, so normally in preacher school that you go to, they say, hey, you start with a cultural, relevant topic, maybe a joke, some version of religious stand-up for the first three minutes. Then you read the scripture out loud while they stand in reverence of God. Then you sit, you read it again, you explain it to them, and then you, you run home, you, 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 you drive home 
the application. And you've seen that a lot because I've followed that. I listened in preacher school, and that's usually how I teach you. But today we're not doing that. Today we're just going to read chapter 7. And we're going to stop when we get to the end, or my voice gives out, or the 33 beautiful kids we have downstairs learning about Jesus completely take over and turn it into some kind of uh, anarchy. So I'm going to pray over us, and we're going to dive in. <coughs> my money's on my voice gives out. Sorry, battling something. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have just to come together as your people. We are just your sons and daughters. We, 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 we yearn for your truth. We yearn for your, your peace and your hope and your salvation. God, I pray for the, the people in this room. I don't know what everyone's going through, but I know they need you. God, I pray over our time here that I, I simply just say truth. I, I, I just say what the Spirit puts in my heart, nothing less and nothing more. God, I pray for endurance as we move through your scriptures, that they are weighty, they are deep, but they are vital. God, I pray all things in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to talk, the, the, the title of this passage in Hebrews, in, in, if you're following in the ESV, uh, is called The Priestly Order of Melchizedek. And you're going to hear uh, a lot about Melchizedek today, and you're also going to hear a lot about the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek was a real person that lived in the, in the Old Testament, but the order of Melchizedek is talking about a holy priest that lives forever. I'm going, to, I'm going to double down on that. I'm going to double down on that. I want us to leave with understanding, because understanding of Scripture emboldens us to share Scripture. So you're going to hear a lot about that today. Verse 1, chapter 7, 4. This Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of the Most High, uh, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, the king of peace. He is without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning nor days of end of his life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues to priest. So in these first four verses, these first three verses, we see a lot going on. So they just enter into trying to explain the order of Melchizedek by saying, who is Melchizedek? Melchizedek is, is the king of Salem. So the king of Salem is the king of peace. Melchizedek itself, that word translates to king of righteousness, and he's the king of the, the geographical area of Salem, which is translated to peace. So Melchizedek, just in his translation, is king of righteousness and king of peace. Does this sound familiar? All right. So in this time, we see in Genesis 14, uh, Melchizedek comes out to Abraham, the patriarch of the na nation of Israel, Father Abraham. He comes out, and Abraham had just got done slaughtering a bunch of kings. He had won. Back in that day, it was winner take all. You didn't try to rebuild. You didn't try to help people out. If you won, you took everything you wanted, and you killed the rest. So Abraham had just done that. He meets the priest Melchizedek, who is a priestly king. He's a king and a priest. Does that sound familiar? He meets them, and, and, and Melchizedek, being inferior to Abraham from the eyes of a, a Jewish person, uh, uh, comes out and blesses him, and Abraham ties to Melchizedek, which is countercultural. This is going to throw a lot of people off, and these three verses confuse a lot of people. Because one, when he comes out and blesses him, that would be, that would be really weird. They don't know each other. There's no, there's no uh, backstory to this. We just come about and we say Melchizedek is coming out and blessing him. And how you would bless someone in this time, in this culture, is you would bring bread and wine to them. So the idea of the Lord's Supper wasn't uh, something created out of nothing. It was a continuation of a tradition that had already been established, but with new meaning. But at this time, if you brought wine and if you brought blood, uh, a wine, uh, sorry, if you brought bread and you brought wine, bread represented sustenance and strength, and wine, life and hope. 
So we have the king of righteousness, the king of free, uh, the king of righteousness, and the king of peace, bringing out sustenance, strength, life, and hope. Tell me again, does this sound familiar? And then he goes on, and he says, he is out without beginning and without end. He has no genealogy. And this has confused theologians for years because a lot of people think, is this a reincarnation of Christ? Is this, is this person actually a deity? Should we be praying to Son, Father, Spirit, and Melchizedek? By no means. Okay, Melchizedek was a literal person that lived in Genesis 14. The story is true because he is true, but literary, this, he has no end. So a lot of times in the Old Testament, if some, a new character was introduced, you saw everything about their lineage. Right? A lot, a lot of time and space in the Bible is dedicated to just lineages of, of father, begotten father, begotten father. But Melchizedek, you, you don't know his mom, you don't know his dad, you don't know his kids, you know nothing about him. They're saying, as far as this, this story here is read, we don't know where he came from and we don't know where he went from there. We don't know the years of his life, we don't know where he died, we don't know the children he birthed, we don't know who birthed him, and we don't know what his father did for a living. We don't know how to categorize Melchizedek, we just know that he came onto the scene, he blessed Abraham tied, and then he's gone. So they're saying inside the confines of this story, there's no beginning and there's no end. So we have the priest of righteousness, we have the king of righteousness, we have the king of peace, bringing blood, bringing uh, wine, bringing life, bringing hope, bringing sustenance. And there's no end. And that is the order of Melchizedek. They're saying in this story, he is a parallel, he's a shadow of Christ. He is not Christ, he is not uh, divine in his nature. We do not pray. We should not think any of those things. But they're saying inside of this story, when they're talking about the order of Melchizedek, they're talking about a king of peace that will reign forever. And we know that to be Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I, we got to move on. Into verse 4. Verse 4 gets pretty wordy. Because he's going to dive in. He's going to try to apply the story he just told about the order of Melchizedek to first generation Hebrews. There he's going to talk about, hey, I know you were just converted from Mosaic Law to the Gospel of Christ. And you still have a lot of the dogma leaning or left over from when you were just practicing Mosaic Law, when you were under the Levit uh, Levitical Law. Man, I'm getting going. I got this. Everybody just take a step. <laughs> so a lot of these, 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 these Jews written in Hebrews... Uh, still had a lot, they didn't know what to do. They knew and believed in the grace of Christ, but they're like, hey, three months ago, I was sacrificing a goat, and I was doing it under the will of God. What do I do with these two worlds that I've come from? What do I do with these two truths that I've lived under? And he's saying, yes, the order of Melchizedek is not saying the law was stupid. It's a fulfillment. Christ didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. Verse 4. See how great this man, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. <clears throat> this is where we get a tenth of tithing. And back then, when you tithe, when you gave a tenth, it wasn't saying, look what I have, I'm going to give you tenth, a tenth of it. It's the same as when you tithe today. When you tithe today to this church to keep these lights on, to keep the kids having snacks, to keep all the things running of a church. That's not you saying, hey, look what I have, and I'm allowing the church to have ten. It's you saying, everything I have is given to me by God. I'm going to steward it well, and I'm going to steward it well by giving a tenth of what God has given me, which is everything, to the church. We don't have time for that either. See how great this man is to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received priestly office have, been a, have, been, have, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. 
though these also are descendants from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descendants from, uh, from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In that one case, tithes are received by moral, mortal men, but in other cases, by one whom it is testified that he lives, one might even say that Levi himself, whom received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For this still is in, for he was still in the loins of the ancestors when Melchizedek met him. He's saying, hey, and I feel that's really worthy, I get that. So if anyone wants to raise your hand and say, I get it, automatically, blessings to you. It took me like two days to read through that and finally get it. But what he's saying is, priestly orders had their purpose. What he is saying is the priest that, that, so back in the day, priests did the similar things to what pastors did now. They were, they, they, they helped you with your, with your they helped, helped pointed you to truth. They, they, they were your counselors. They were your friends. They were, they did everything they could to help you under the current Mosaic law walk in the will of God. And what he's saying here is, yes, their job was to collect tithes. Their job was to point you to truth. Their, point, their job was to uh, translate the law, see your error, and then help you sacrifice according to your sin. Their job, similar to mine, was to walk alongside you and point you to Christ, or point you to the will of God, point you uh, to the law of Moses, and do all those things. He's saying, what the, what the priests did at that time was good. What Christ has come to do is significantly better better. He's not discounting the work of the priest in the Old Testament. He's saying it is, a fair, it is a far comparison to what Christ has actually come to do for us now. Verse 11. This is when it's going to get deep. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? rather than one named after the uh, order of Aaron. So he's saying, if the law was meant to be a long-term plan, why would he have sent Christ? And we're going to talk about this later on in Scripture, where he says, at some point, the lights had to switch on to say, this Levitical law had no end because atonement was never secure. You were going to kill and blood was going to rain in the street of all these animals until something changed because the blood of bulls were never going to sustain the wrath of God. And anytime you have a pastor go before you or a priest go before you and he has to first atone for his sin before he can atone for your sin, there's something broken there. For when there is a change in priesthood, there is a necessity in a change in the law. He's saying that the priests under Mosaic law had a right standing with God. But now that there is a priest under the order of Melchizedek, Christ who reigns supreme, there has been a change. We are no longer under the covenant of law, but we are in the covenant of grace. For the one who these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was a descendant of Judah. And in connection with those tribes of Moses and none of the priests. So all of the priests came from the, the, the priestlyhood of the Levi tribe. They are all priests that, that were atoning. All priests, all high priests came from one tribe, the Levi. Hence Levitical law. But our priests, something different, something promised further than just sacrifices on sacrifice on sacrifice, came from the tribe of Judah. He was the Lion of Judah. This becomes even more evident when another priest arrives in his likeliness, like the likeliness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning the bodily descent, but of a higher power of indestructible life. So what he's saying is all of these Levitical priests were in good standing, but all of them were mortal and died. 
And we needed more priests, and we needed more high priests, and more high priests, and more high priests, because every single high priest before Christ that was anointed and, and, and put in the position of high priest died because they were humans. And, and the pains of sin are death. So all of these priests did beautiful things. What he's trying to do to this congregation is not discount their, the, the families, their family and the lineage they have of serving under Levitical law. He's saying, you did the right thing that was before you, and your family and your grandparents and your grandparents' grandparents did the right thing uh, of, of observing Mosaic law. But there is now something more beautiful before you that you have to draw near to. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 18. For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. If you're an underliner, underline that. The law made nothing perfect. And don't confuse yourself in 2020 and say, Tim, this is kind of a waste of time. I've never sacrificed a thing. I don't know much about Mosaic Law. I have no uh, intentions of doing sacrifices or incenses or uh, pleasing aromas. I don't know anything about the Holies of Holies. I, don't even, I couldn't even tell you what a high priest did. So yes, he is speaking to a congregation in, in, in 62 AD that very much knew all the pains of Mosaic Law. They knew all the requirements. They knew all the checklists they had to handle. But what I'm preaching to you in 2020 is don't run to the law. And the law of 2020 is if I look good, I must get into heaven. If I come to church, I must be saved. If I live a clean life, if I am decently nice to the people around me, if I do the things that society says make me a good person, or if I do the things that Christianity says make me a good person, but I have a relationship with God, it's all for nothing. We run and cling to the law. We want a checklist. We want to be able to say, if I do these things, I get heaven. But what Scripture says is, your, your works without faith is dead. You can cling to that law. All you want, it will leave you cold and alone, and you will sit before your Savior, and he'll say, I never knew you. And you'll say, I knew your law. He goes, I don't care about the law. I care about salvation. I care about a relationship with you. Amen. All right, that got a little further. Some of you are getting a big eye. Like, I'm not going to call on you. You don't have to memorize anything. Everybody relax. <laughs> the law made nothing perfect. I was hoping that some of y'all, but that's on me. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. You have to draw near. You have God wants a relationship. Salvation is a relationship. We're going to kick this horse way beyond its dead because the writer of Hebrews knows the same thing that Timothy Roundtree knows. Your, your congregation needs to hear it every day. A lot of you, it would be easy to say, Tim, you, you preach the same sermon Every Sunday. And I would repeat, you need the same sermon every Sunday. Because the law calls to us. We like it. The brokenness of us just want to appear to be doing right. Because we know appearing to be right is easy. Actually having a relationship with God and doing His will is the hardest thing you'll ever do Amen. this side of heaven. Amen. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. Christ took an oath of covenant. So oath back in that day was forever. These priests weren't priests forever. They kept dying. It's similar. Uh, we, we take an oath and a covenant in marriage, right? And it's forever. Um, it, 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 it knows no end. We're not in a contract. It would be weird if marriage was a contract. Because the contract is this or that. A contract is like, hey, as long as you do this, I will do that. 
A lot of people think they're in contracts with marriage, but you're actually an oath covenant with Christ. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. What Jesus has come and done is to make all things new. The former priests were many in number, and they were prevented by death from continuing their office. So what I already kind of said, we had, new, we had to get new priests because they kept dying. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save us. He's able to save you to the uttermost, those who draw near through him since he always lives to make intercessions for you. There is no end to the ability Jesus is able to minister to you. Who here has a core people, right? We, 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 we preach biblical community, but biblical community is, is, is a beautiful thing. But at the end of the day, when, when, when you're at your worst, you're going to call like one or two people, right? Who, who has one or two people that you call no matter what he picks up the phone, right? I highly encourage you to get those people. I was like half the room. I hope that half of you are just not wanting to raise your hand. But... And for some of you, I may be that person. Some of you are, are, are we've been in this, we've been in the, the, the pains and the beauty and the struggle of planting a church in Oak Cliff in 2020 or actually 2015, and we've, we've come alongside each other. Some of you are really new, and I hope we get to go with you know more, but I don't know if I'll ever be your person. I have a person, obviously it's wife, that's what you're supposed to say, wife's my person, but like, like say something goes really bad and I can't get all of her, I have a guy. Um, uh, his name is Matthew Fodge. We have named Levi Matthew after him. He is the godparent of all three of our kids. I don't have a memory without Matthew Fodge. I don't have any understandings of life without him. We've been friends since we had conscious memory. I was the best man at his wedding. He was the best man at my wedding. It was so great. It's like, just as we're besties. We have tattoos. We have no tattoos with names. That's weird. Um, but right? And I'm his guy. If I get a phone call from him in the middle of the day, something's gone bad. He checks on me through text, but if I get a phone call, he gets a phone call. But I don't know if there's something I could ask of him, or he could ask me that the answer is no. If I have money in my bank account, it's his. If he needs to come pick me up, I'm there, right? That's the kind of friendship we're talking about. But at some level, I'm going to fail him. And at some level, he's going to fail me. Same with this church. You're going you're gonna to say, Tim, I can count on you no matter what. You're my pastor. You've proven that you can take a beating and still like it. That, that, that's great. But at some point, I'm going to fail you. Right? No matter how close we are, no matter how much I want to love on you, no matter how much God's called me to steward you, I am human, I am broken, and I will fail you. There will be a time that you call me and I won't answer. But that's not true for Christ. He is your inner circle. There is never a time when you're at your worst where you call upon Him and He won't answer. One, because He's already there. You just haven't realized it. And you calling upon Him is actually just opening your eyes to the truth that He's been there the whole time. He goes into the innermost to save you. He is your person. 28. For it was indeed fitting that you should have such a high priest. That's an understatement of the millennium. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and those sins for the people. Since he did this once and for all, he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son, 
who has been made perfect forever. So he's saying, yes, the priests did the best they could, but at the end of the day, they died. The priests did the best they could, but at the end of the day, before they could go into the holies of holies, they had atoned for their own sin. Because if they didn't atone for their own sin, they died in the presence of God. But we have a Savior who interceded for us once and for all, forever. He's there. You can call Him. He's always there. Now, we have to understand that. And for some of us, we're thinking, that's easy. I'm not worried about Mosaic Law. But the law of 2020 will still call to you. The idea of putting on your Sunday best and sitting in that chair, hear me yell at you, laugh when it's appropriate, put your kids, go to family group, but never have a relationship with Christ is going to call to you. And it's going to trick you in to damnation. Because the call and the law of 2020 says just look the part. If you look the part, you are the part. But what, what God has done is said, no, I want a relationship with you. I don't care about outward appearance. I want inner truth. I want obedience. I want you to come upon the throne of Christ and say, I am yours. I am your son and daughter. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to obey you. And when things get worse than we ever thought they could get, when every human on this planet fails you, you draw near to God, you call upon Christ, you open your eyes and He's to your right. We have to cling to Christ. We have to have faith in our relationship. We have to know who our people are and who, who is actually our Savior in Christ is always there. The law will always call to us, but the law never sets you free. There will never be freedom under the law. And I know what you're thinking, like, hey, if I struggle with one thing and I change my behavior, maybe that's actual change. But that's not freedom. Freedom comes from the heart, right? So an example would be like, say, say you're a recovering alcoholic. And you're saying, I, I, I can do this on my own. I can stop on my own. I'm disciplined enough. And you may be. You may say, hey, I, I haven't had a drink in 20 days. I, have, I haven't actually turned my life over to Christ. I haven't not drank so I could be a better version of the Imago Dei. I, I, haven't, I haven't consumed alcohol or I haven't consumed the vice that controls me. Uh, not because I'm, I'm relying on Christ, but I, I have, under the law of 2020, I can actually do this. But I would come to you and say, if you have stopped doing some action because of your discipline, but all you think about is that action, is that freedom? If you haven't partake in a drink in three months, but all you think about is the taste of a Chris Miller light, you're not free. You're just changing your behavior. You're under the law of 2020. But what Christ says is, I'm not going to simply change your behavior. I'm going to change who you are. I'm going to change your heart. You're not going to yearn for something. You're going to yearn to be with me. And subsequently, I'm going to help you fight the vice that you think is controlling your life. But we have to draw near to him. The law made nothing perfect. The law will never sustain you. And I pray today the same thing I pray every Sunday morning. Not that I would spit fire. That you just be honest with yourself and let the spirit move. Because I can preach the best sermon of my life, and you can sit there amening, underlining, highlighting, but as long as you're lying to yourself where you're at, Satan has you where he wants you. Satan wants you think, Satan wants you to think you're a best version of yourself right now. Satan wants you to think that you're not actually under the law, you're under grace. Satan wants you confused. Satan's not going to come at you head on, he's going to trick you into hell. And what Satan wants you to do is sit in that room, 
Lie to yourself and on Tuesday go back to exactly what you've been doing. Exactly the ways of the world. That law controls you. And then next Sunday morning you're going to sit here and go, yes, yes, yes. And nothing will change. And when you meet your Savior, he'll say, I never knew you. And you're going to say, no, I sat in the same seat and I amen to him. He's going to say, get out of here. I pray today that you're honest with yourself. Honesty is hard. That's why it's called being brutally honest because it's brutal. There's nothing scarier than looking in the mirror or opening up your journal and actually writing what's on your heart, writing what's on your mind. But that's where real change comes. That's when we come, we get out of the yoke of the law and we walk in to the grace of Christ. I'm going to pray over us. We're going to sing one more. I love you. I love the opportunity I have to stand before the people that God's called me to and I love to stand in a room full of people I love. God, thank you for today. Thank you for grace. Thank you for rest. Thank you for peace. Thank you for hope. Thank you for the order of Melchizedek. Thank you for being a king of righteousness, a king of peace. Thank you for offering us sustenance. Thank you for offering us hope. Thank you for offering us life. God, I pray that every person in this room would, would grab onto that life, grab onto that hope. And after they've grabbed onto that hope, I hope they would, they would point the 33 kids down the hall to Christ. I hope that we would be disciples of your guaranteed oath. I pray all things in your name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>